A small New Zealand coastal town's population has disappeared. They've been replaced by aliens who are planning to harvest their meat for their intergalactic chain of fast food restaurants. The only thing standing in their way is the Astro Investigation and Defense Service, or AIDS, who dispatch their agents to the town of Kaihoro, pitting them against legions of aliens in Peter Jackson's 1987 film, Bad Taste. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Josh Allred. And I'm Caleb Leger. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the 143rd episode of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm joined today for the first time by both Josh Allred and Kayla Leger, who are going to help me just dissect this weird as fuck film. Uh, glad to have you guys uh, on board together for the first time. This is awesome. Yeah, I thought this wasn't going to happen until I moved out to the to Virginia, but you know, it's nice to at least get one done this way. But it'll be great when me and uh, Josh can do it together in the same room as well. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a lot more fun when he and I are in the room and I can torture him on a personal level. Um, Cause you guys have only been getting a taste of it over the years. Um, Caleb's gotten a little bit more of, of an intimate experience, I guess you could say, you know, being trapped with me on a ship for six months and just programming whatever and whatever, you know, whenever I could. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting way to get to know somebody you start peeking into their their the mind of a person who watches movies like this and really enjoys them so well speaking of being tortured on an intimate level if you've been following the news uh the pacific northwest is in the midst of a vicious heat wave uh i came up to bremerton washington to visit my buddy and have been trapped in hell for about four days uh if you listen to our past uh sneak preview you'll have heard me rant about this already but figured Filmgasm fans would want to know why I'm not exactly up to par lately. Well, it's, <laughs> we, we ranted about it. We had to stop recording because my cat started panting. I had to go take care of that. It's, it's fun. I was actually just checking on him to make sure he's good. He's fine right now. But yeah, it's, it's brutal right now. <sighs> Vacation. <laughs> uh, so before we get going, I've got one update on the Rewind. Today's Rewind updates our Pet Cemetery episode, which was super early in the show. I think in the first 10, I spent like 25 minutes talking about the original and the remake alone, because at the time, I didn't know what the fuck this was. Uh, the upcoming and wildly unnecessary prequel to Stephen King's story, uh, which is coming to Paramount Plus likely next year, has cast Jackson White as a young Judd Crandall, the older neighbor played by Fred Gwynn and John Lithgow in the two films we've gotten so far. Uh, they're really betting heavy on this Pet Cemetery prequel nobody has asked for. They're casting it out. Uh, I know we've talked a bit about this, but I don't think altogether. So what are you guys' thoughts on this Pet Cemetery prequel? I mean, I've already said it before. It's totally unnecessary. No. And at least they're at least they're trying to keep it with familiar characters and maybe try and I don't know. Like, this is just so frustrating. I mean, if anything, take the concept, take the idea and do something new with it. Maybe, I mean, I, I don't know what new would be for that, but set it 
in a more modern setting with other people and challenge the mythology of it that way or use it in a way that you're kind of trying to explore some socially relevant ideas i i don't know like it's just it's just boring it's lazy and it's just i i think it's just a waste of time and money well what about here's an idea i mean you kind of built you build off of the 1989 one you have this area be like you know bulldozed and become like a city but the pet cemetery is still there it's in you know like the backwoods that wasn't like gone down it's like in the middle of the city now and you kind of use it as like a metaphor for gentrification or something i don't know just spitballing here i don't know i mean it's better than going prequel um i'm sure you guys would agree me anytime a series of any kind any genre goes prequel that tells me you're running out of ideals yeah for what to do a lot of the time so you're kind of like let's just go back the fact that they're doing this with like what a third or no fourth because of pet cemetery too so with the fourth film in this, it's like, and some of us aren't even really like that connected. Like you had the original film, you had Pet Sematary 2, you had the remake, and now we're getting a prequel. Like that's the thing. This is never a story that needed to be franchised. Yeah, I don't, I don't get. It. I'm not really, I'm not down with it. I have a soft spot for the original movie. The remake's all right. There's things I like, things I don't like about it. I'm not really into this idea of going back and doing a prequel. I don't, I don't want it. Nah. I, so I think you're hitting on something, Connor, and that's kind of where I was going. Is you you use the concept of the pet cemetery and you just use that as a frame and and go from there and find a way to use it. Like any good person that makes a horror movie, like they, I mean, like Stephen King, he uses the fantastic elements of things to really enhance a very deep and human story. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pet Cemetery is probably one of my favorite books. It scared the shit out of me as a kid. And then when I reread it as a parent, it scared me even more because I totally, I totally like, I, I am Lewis, like I'm a father and I bought into the whole idea of like being so swallowed in your grief. Cause I have been in that position before when my mother died and just wanting so bad to have that person back no matter the cost no matter what it is even though what comes back isn't who you put in and that whole idea of dealing with grief and loss and forcing yourself to accept the reality that you have lost the person that you love so much and it it's those big ideas that made that book so good and i think if you continued on those themes and used it in a way to try and say something about what's going on now and and or in a way that maybe like it's a dirty secret you know like just stop trying to be so lazy and just take the easy way out because you're not going to get anything out of it and that that shows more than anything that that's what studios are going to do that's what these streaming services are going to do they're going to latch onto the easy low-hanging fruit and they're going to push it out real quick instead of trying to actually develop something, develop talent and storytellers and voices and filmmakers and actors and all that shit. Do that. Fucking do that, please. Yeah, I agree. And as a, you know, as a King fan, there's so many stories that have to be touched that we don't need a fourth version of Pet Cemetery. Like just, you know, adapt some of his other stories. If you want to get, make some Stephen King money, you know, something new. 
Yeah. yeah, no, there's plenty of stories, and like you said, they could essentially kind of like to me like Candyman route it, or it's the new movie seems to be tackling like gentrification and all this stuff and moving forward with the storyline to give me some of them actually really interested in seeing. Not let me tell you how this all came to be. The book kind of already does that. Like we know how this came to be. There is no story to tell here that isn't just retreading, you know, ground that's already been stood upon. I mean, unless the story centered on somebody who is like a freaking distant relative of the Micmac people, I think that's the only way you could have that be some kind of story. But even then, like, it's not it's not worth a series, and it I don't even think it's worth a movie. Like, just just don't, just don't, just don't. Exactly. Wow. I like these brief little updates, little nuggets of info we get on past episodes always interesting most of the time it's casting news on a remake but you know we try shocker (laughs) uh bad taste uh so this was a pick uh from you josh uh something i had never experienced before and like i gotta say this was uh this was a unique viewing experience (laughs) i mean it's one of those movies you're not going to forget once you've seen it and I think, I think if you go into it knowing what came out of it and what it helped to start, I think, I think there's, I think there should be a lot of reverence put towards it, not throwing it on a pedestal and worshiping it or by any means, because it is definitely the product of somebody who was not refined in the art of filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination. However, I will say that this was somebody who is very competent in some of the tricks and tools, maybe not a master at, at, at the time, but I think using the tricks of filmmaking, whether it was miniatures or stop motion animation or, you know, puppeteering, a lot of those things, he used all of those to, to maximum effect and by hooker by crook made this movie that for me is is a very uh very emblematic of the the drive and desire that goes into making a movie and it also is very um very prevalent and it's a story that a lot of first-time filmmakers have not having any money you know tricking your friends into doing this over years and years on weekends for the very selfish reason of wanting to make this movie, wanting to get this thing made and knowing that you can't do it by yourself. And I think what we get is pretty damn funny. And also it's just fun. Like you can't, you can't, you can't not help but laugh at this movie and and maybe yeah you are at times laughing at you know the the whole thing like why did this how is this movie even alive like how does this thing exist but it does and it's 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 amazing i mean the fact that this film is over 30 years old and was responsible for bringing the world peter jackson wingnut and weta and all of these things like if you don't have bad taste you don't have the lord of the rings you just don't you you, new zealand does not have the film industry that it does 
And you have to have that in your mind when you watch this thing, because a lot of what Peter Jackson is known for with his use of camera work and his imagination and his vision and his knowledge of the tools of filmmaking, it's all there. It's all there. So you have to, I mean, at least for me, and this is, this is where I, I'm proud of my film studies background and being able to articulate these kind of thoughts instead of saying like, yeah, this is a bitching ass alien movie that is over the top, gory and hilarious and absolutely has a place in, I, actually, I, I do think I gave it a 10 when I wrote it out, when I wrote my review, I think I gave it a 10 just because it's, it has no right to be as much fun as it is when you think about what went into doing it, but it does. And it's here. And I'm, I think because of its significance and what it continued to do, not to mention what Peter Jackson built off of those two movies, like his whole naughty movies are some of the most outrageous, but creative and unique movies that you, you wouldn't have gotten from anybody but him. That's very true. He, he has a style, a very signature style. You can kind of see that this filmmaker, as ridiculous as I found the movie, I can appreciate the style of it. And he is, you can tell even then, he's going to, this guy's going to go places. This guy's going to be somebody. And that's neat to kind of see the foundation of Peter Jackson's career, a very distinguished multi-Oscar winning career. And it all came from this ridiculous concept of aliens taking over a small town for a fast food joint. Like, the fuck? <laughs> and it's, yeah, I spent most of the time trying to figure this out. And I just realized, like, that's not going to happen. Like, there's no way to figure this out. Uh, I spent most of the time thinking, oh, I can't wait for Connor to witness this scene. Because I remember watching the first time with Josh. Because uh, my experience was on, I think it was deployment, I believe. Uh, Josh, just like he's doing with you right now, who's showing me movies. And oddly enough, we're in the same order he's going in right now. It was Toxic Avenger and then Bad Taste. <laughs> so I went from that to Bad Taste. And I, I liked it. I, I really ended up liking the movie. It is cool seeing, like, so I like in my case, and I'm sure Connor as well, someone who's seen Lord of the Rings and loves Lord of the Rings. To know that the guy who gave us like that, that masterpiece of a trilogy, started out doing these really unique, different, just DIY type of low budget horror films that somehow are very, really entertaining. Like any other director would crumble making the film the way he did like this. But he pulled it off and it's entertaining and he only got better. I mean, with this and then like Dead Alive, it just kept getting better. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, this is, you give a guy with a goal $25,000 and he's going to make something. And this is what we have. And amazingly, this film has lasted. You can watch it on Tubi right now if you have that service. Uh, it was on Prime for the longest time. They took it off right when I fucking needed it. I'm pretty sure there's a Blu-ray in existence. I can't remember. <laughs> it, if it is, it's not one that was supervised by Peter Jackson. He's, um, he's, he said it. I don't know if it was last year or something like that or the year before, but he literally had bad taste sitting in a film can under his bed for the longest time. 
and he didn't think anybody would really want to worry about it but he's got them he's got all of them back and he's working on actually putting out his supervision on restoring these and putting them out um the negative for bad taste started to essentially rot like it had mold and a bunch of stuff growing on it so like i i'm sure that the finished product for that isn't going to be as good um but just the fact that it would be getting the touch from the guy who started it who made it and then has gone on to become one of the you know the biggest names in filmmaking and has the actual resources behind him to do it on his own accord no less not paying anybody else he's going to do it himself and hire the people to do it i think i think that in and of itself is is cause for celebration because then these movies can be shared again instead of being recycled on you know fourth and fifth generation vhs or some crazy bootleg dvd um i like i really love movies like this and the stories behind them um i don't know like what kind of stuff you were digging up for it connor but he built his own fucking steady cam yeah like that's like sam raimi level ingenuity and i mean he even showed it like i've, I've seen the i've seen the making of for it and he's like strapping he's got it strapped on him and he's showing how it works and then you see like in the movie some of the shots that he's using with it and it's it's fucking genius like it adds so much to it when it could have just been like a simple like static camera just panning over here and tilting and doing all of that like he actually he gave these movies an energy and a playfulness because if a camera's moving like that and kind of taking you everywhere like you feel like you're on a ride and you're not just watching a normal movie you're not watching somebody who while he was still learning how to visually tell a story. Like he already had this crazy idea in his head, how he wanted this movie to look. I, and the fact that he would sacrifice his weekends to get this thing made is just, it's very inspiring. Like, I think, I think kids who are, you know, learning how to make movies or just getting into movies, like they should see things like this. And you should understand that, if you are singular and focused enough in your drive to make something happen, this is what can come of it. You know, you might not reach the levels of Peter Jackson. I mean, that kind of stuff is like once in a lifetime, one in a million, whatever, but it can be done with minimal resources and, and just sheer force of will. You can make something like this. And it's, and it's, I mean, just the balls, like he even joked about it. He ran out of friends to use in the movie. So that's why he plays Derek and the alien Robert. That's why, because he didn't have anybody else. Like, well, fuck it. I guess I'm doing it. And just the balls to like, a go. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then two, actually figure out how to, how to do it, how to make it happen. It's, it's impressive. Nonetheless. Well, and the, to me, the fact that he hasn't really abandoned his roots. If you watch Lord of the Rings, that whole trilogy, there's a lot of camera shots and stuff like that that harken back to his time on uh, Bad Taste, Dead Alive, and everything he did before. Like, he doesn't forget where he came from. So when, when he did make the transition to the bigger, you know, studio back stuff, he still remembered his roots, still put a lot of his stuff in those movies, which I do appreciate that. He's not... So giving us what we uh, know him for. 
Well, you know, he's a filmmaker, as we see with these movies, he's a filmmaker who's built on practicality, who had to kind of just figure his way through this. So when you put him on a big budget thing like Lord of the Rings and you give him unlimited resources, he's still going to do things the way he knows how to do them. And that's, I think, why Lord of the Rings has a timeless quality to it is because it still feels so real, because most of it was. And I think, you know, I mean, he did abandon that when The Hobbit uh, came out. Uh, the studio fucked him on that one. Fair enough. Fair enough. Studio Warner Brothers seems to have this thing where they love to trample on directors yeah. that are really successful for them. And they did that with him. Okay. On The Hobbit. I think he was, he did not want the CGI orcs. They did. And it, yeah, it was a big mess. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah, my, my point is he does, you know, have that flair for the practical with Lord of the Rings. And uh, and King Kong, mm. yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about Peter Jackson. Um, so he would go on to win three Oscars in his career: one for directing, one for writing, and one for producing. All for 2003's *The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King*. He was also nominated for Best Screenplay for uh, 1994's *Heavenly Creatures* and 2001's. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. He was nominated for Best Director for Fellowship and Best Picture for Fellowship, uh, The Two Towers, and District Nine. In addition, he's directed such films as Dead Alive, The Frighteners, The Lovely Bones, The Hobbit Trilogy, and King Kong. He's become one of the most like respected and like, you know powerful directors in Hollywood, which is great because I think his track record is pretty good. I mean, I didn't see Mortal Engines, but everything else pretty much is... Pretty gold. Uh, I fell asleep during Mortal Engines. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. I didn't know he produced uh, District 9. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just picked up Heavenly Creatures recently. I was meaning to check that out. Uh, have you guys seen, seen that one? I have not seen Heavenly Creatures. No, I, I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever watched it. Um before I saw Lord of the Rings and even before the bad taste and dead alive and meet the feebles and whatnot, the first Peter Jackson movie I saw was the frighteners. And that, that right there is, is another example of, you know, him being, you know, very ingenious with how he made his movies. And I, I still think that's probably like one of my favorite, uh, Michael J. Fox movies for sure. <laughs> Considering I'm such a massive Back to the Future fan, I really got to get on the Frighteners. I've I've never seen that. I really want to. Uh, I had planned a whole bunch of. I was going to watch a bunch of Peter Jackson films for this film, but it coincided with my vacation, and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah. Well, I I, I think I think you'll appreciate it when you watch it. It's like he's Michael J. Fox is playing against type. You know, everybody knows him as being this wholesome boy next door. And in the Frighteners, he's kind of like playing a guy who lost his wife and he's kind of bitter about it. And he's kind of being a little bit of a of a trickster and con man. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a very ingenious use of him as an actor because he has that he has that way of making you like really care about him whatever character he's playing and he does that with uh i think his name's frank in the frighteners and it's it's really good it's really really good yeah definitely on my list uh king kong i feel like doesn't get a lot of more a lot of praise these days uh 
I think it's been overshadowed by the the uh, MonsterVerse movies. But 05's King Kong is a terrifying movie. I mean, it's one of the gr- greatest adaptations of, of the Kong story. Uh, that's, Jesus, that scene with the, with the fucking pit bugs always gets under my skin. I, I remember I saw it at the movies with my mom and dad and that fucking, the, the, like, swamp slug that swallows Andy Serkis's head. I, I almost left. I almost went to the lobby and was just like, I can't watch this movie anymore. I had a huge smile on my face. <laughs> Disturbing. Yeah, it, uh, King Kong kind of gets a bad rep. And, you know, I remember I liked it when I first saw it. Then I couldn't really watch it too much. That three-hour runtime was daunting. But as I went over, I realized probably, especially the MonsterVerse, kind of focusing more on, like, the monster action, which is fine. I'm, I'm a big fan of the MonsterVerse. Uh, I've kind of come around back to liking it because it's probably one of the more faithful adaptations of King Kong and like what the point of the original movie even was about. I feel like that one gets the closest. Yeah, it's 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 purebred horror. O five's King Kong. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I mean, I I kind of had like mixed feelings going into watching it because I am a very big fan of all of the classic, you know, horror movies and classic monster movies and things like that. So it's like, if you're going to tackle something like that, you better come with it. And I, I will say there are parts of that movie that really, that really work for me. Um, especially when, you know, they're on skull Island and Peter Jackson gets to play with monsters and do all that kind of thing, because he, he grew up watching, you know, all of the, the Ray Harryhausen animate, you know, animated movies and like watching, you know, like Sinbad and, and all these other crazy wild ass movies that really just enjoyed what they were doing, which is showing you men fighting monsters and things like that. So that those are some of the parts that I really, really enjoyed with it. At times I felt like it dragged. I mean, if you're going to make a movie that's three hours long, like you've really got to, you really got to keep the attention going. And there are just parts of it that really dragged for me. So I, I I wasn't, I wasn't too hip on the runtime. That said, it is, it's definitely one of the most faithful adaptations of it because anything else that was made like back in the seventies, the one that was made in the seventies, it's, it's all right. Um, I do think uh, Jessica Lang is really good in it and Jeff Bridges is really good in it. Um, but it felt it, it has its cheesy moments, obviously because of just like the technology and, and how you were going to be able to do that. It's always going to be kind of hokey and, you know, giant hand coming through the screen and shit like that. Um, and Peter Jackson being the, the, in, the ingenious guy that he is, he really got, he really got it. And he really just let Andy Serkis do his thing, playing Kong and kind of just making him a lot more real than, you know, like making him look like an actual gorilla versus this fucking whatever, this anthropomorphized fucking, you know, two-footed, walking on two feet gorilla shit that we saw in some other ones. But, you know, it's, it definitely gets you emotionally sometimes. I will say as like as much as I want to laugh every time I see Jack Black in the movie, like he he has his moments um, where he really he really gets he really gets you like being like the person that really loves this whole idea of spectacle and like telling a story and like having all of this 
kind of stuff going on. So I've, there's just parts of it that really work overall. Like if it was about two hours, I would probably be okay with it a lot more than what I am now. Yeah. I think if you cut like 30 minutes in that, like first hour, 30 minutes in that last hour, but then just maintain that middle section. Yeah. Perfect. You ever seen that like four hour director's cut they did? <laughs> no. Cause I didn't, I was too darn to sit through the three hour. I didn't want to sit through the four hour. Yeah. They somehow thought making the movie longer was a good idea. I honestly have not seen it since the movies in 05 because it is way too freaking long and there are other Kong movies I can watch to get the same fix. But And I just know that fucking slug is going to get me again. I just know it. I, when stuff, stuff that freaked me out as a child has not left my head. It's, I, I fucking hate it. <laughs> so... Apart from Peter Jackson, none of the actors in Bad Taste were really actors. They were his buddies, and they didn't do anything else. Uh, so we're not really going to go into the cast too much unless there was, like, anybody you wanted to spotlight. No, not really. Um, I mean, there's just part of, like, the the fun of this in that, you know, these guys were all Peter Jackson's friends is kind of – it gives you an understanding of how the movie was made and why – it feels like certain people dropped out and then something else just happened. Um, Cause originally there was a 10 minute, like short version of this that was just about Craig and, it, and he got picked up by an alien and he got eaten. And like, mm-hmm. that was, that, that was the short version of it. And when Peter Jackson decided that he really wanted to do this and actually make a feature movie out of it, his buddy Craig got married and his wife was like, I don't want you making this shitty ass movie. Don't do it. He fucking, yeah, he, he, he made the mistake. Um, so Peter was like, shit, what do I got to do? Oh, I know what I can do. That's where his, his other friends come in and they're all the whole fucking AIDS team. <laughs> like, again, you just, you have to, you have to chuckle when somebody does something like that, because it's just like a, like, is he is he how aware is he that he's doing that and if he is he's got some cojones to just throw that i mean that's like watching uh trauma's war and realizing that the diabolical task force that has been created for world domination is called the fucking aids brigade or some shit like that (laughs) and you're just like holy fuck like all right i i guess we're going with it um but that whole story was made because his buddy craig was unavailable and just dropped out but then over time this movie took four years to make three years after that initial short guess who gets a divorce and wants to come back and play with his buddies (laughs) so that's why he shows back up in the movie later towards the end because now he's like oh no i can play now guys and you just now everybody's on board and having fun again so it there is a logical reason you know, that that was a product of the production, why it happened the way it happened, which I think the fact that he dealt with it the way he did is, again, pretty damn funny, but also very ingenious. I love that he can just say, you know, my, his buddy's like, hey, I'm married now and she doesn't want me doing this. And he's like, oh, all right. And just cuts him out. And then four years later, it's like, hey, buddies, I got divorced. I want back in. And he's like, all right, no problem. <laughs> just to have that kind of, just whatever, snip, snip, you're back in. It's, it's hilarious. And I know there was another friend of his 
who had to maintain the same facial hair for continuity for four fucking years. Like PJ wouldn't let him shave. And after they finished filming, like he couldn't just go back to shaving normally. Like he developed a routine in his life for four years and he just kept that going. Like that's dedication. I don't know if like, if my buddies and I were filming a movie on the weekends, like, I don't know. I I feel like eventually I'd give up. Like, I'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, when are you going to finish this thing? (laughs) But they all stayed. That's fantastic. And again, that, that speaks to, you know, a, keeping keeping your cast and crew as small as possible because the the more hats you give to people the more involved you make them i feel like the less likely they are to drop out i'm the kind of guy that i would be peter jackson i would be the one that would sacrifice my weekends i mean i i kept trying to do that so many times i had so many friends just like come on just just give me just give me a weekend just let me do this like talk to my buddies that are in bands just like just let me shoot your band for a little bit i just i have an idea and yeah it's trust me i'm still working on that i'm still working i'm still trying to write stuff so it'll happen one day it'll happen one day god damn it ever since we mentioned trauma's war i'm just thinking about that scene where they try to give the goals aids uh, yeah have you seen that Connor? no i've oh, seen god. toxic avenger and that is all trauma's war is a good one i did like that one <laughs> thank you Joe it's Bob. fucking bananas it's fucking bananas <laughs> that's um, one that's one i think that's one i think you should watch after you've watched a couple of other ones because it's not like it's trauma's most expensive movie at the time at, at the same time it's probably one of its most offensive just because of like where they go with it and you're not even thinking it's going to happen oddly enough it it kind of had this whole like Lloyd Kaufman was making jokes about it how like JJ Abrams ripped him off and lost with like his whole opening scene because the whole the whole opening of the movie is like these citizens of Tromaville are in a plane crash and they land on a fucking deserted island so they think and then there's some weird wacky shit that's going on there so broad strokes what you will um lloyd was like yeah jj abrams stole that shit from me and all you got to do is just ask me how to let him use the idea i don't fucking care <laughs> you know so it's just funny it's just funny little shit like that but that movie is outrageous like lloyd kaufman likes to brag that it has the most uh squibs in a movie and i i would not put it past him to actually have that done so i've i've never gone to try and count because there are just a lot of people that get shot in that movie. There's explosions everywhere. That's awesome. Yeah, I've ever since you kind of introduced me to the world of trauma, this entire like secret underground world of weird ass movies I've never heard of. I I have been intrigued. Uh, you know, bad taste kind of reminded me of that trauma flavor. And uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I admire anybody who can you know kind of fund their own project and really, you know, keep it going this long and actually end up with something that lasts this long. So yeah, major props. Uh, yeah, for sure. I'll be, def- I'll be checking out some of those. Uh, Bad Taste has an IMDb score of 6.6. Rotten Tomatoes score of 71%. I was not <laughs> expecting that. Uh, despite a poor reception in New Zealand upon release, the film has since been reclaimed as a cult classic. And as I said, you can stream it on Tubi. Uh, but that is it. That's the only place you can stream it right now. 
or well, you can pay two bucks to rent it on Prime, but come on, be honest. We all hate having to shell out that extra two bucks, don't we? Sometimes. Depends on what it is. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. Let's talk some highlights of bad taste. Uh, I didn't take a lot of notes this time because most of the time I was like, what in the fuck is this? But um, <laughs> I did point out a few things that <laughs> caught my eye. Uh, I love that image of Peter Jackson scooping a guy's brains out of his skull with a fucking spoon and just eating it, just eating this guy's head. Uh, I thought that was funny. Reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And uh, yeah, spoon. He had a, he had a spoon <laughs> in the dude's head. Well, later on you find out, or at least it makes sense why he would carry a spoon in his pocket the whole time. Um, when they're passing the bowl around. Uh, <laughs> uh, fun fact, a lot of the guts that were in there were purchased as scraps from the butcher. Yeah. So it's actual, actual guts. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's the brain. The brain that he's using is probably some real guts or a real brain. Like, and again, again, just, it, it really shows that he's not afraid to get gross and, and go for maximum effect. Um, Cause that whole bit with Derek fighting Robert. And if you take nothing away from this movie, just remember Derek's don't run. Um, he, uh, when he fucking falls and yeah, you know, like you, clearly it's clearly a fucking dummy of some sort that's getting rolled down the fucking hill and then the splat and all this stuff you know you're like how the fuck of course he fucking survives with you know with a big fucking flap coming out of the back of his fucking head but he uses that and it's like that's where i think this movie really like settles into if if you're gonna put it in any kind of banner under any kind of banner, it's going to be a splat stick kind of movie. Like it's, it's never serious. It's always done for fun and it is just gory and gross. And I, I always look, cause there's just so many different gags that's going on in, in this movie. And I mean, any chance you can to like throw a fart joke in there somewhere, like I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So I'll say actually with that scene, that was one of the things I highlighted uh, that stuck with me the first time I watched the movie. I was waiting for it to happen again. I mean, see Connor's reaction is to see how yeah, after he falls and you see the, the splatter of the brains, he gets up and he has to put his brain back in his head. Anytime the flap comes down, he like starts convulsing. <laughs> so he yeah. has to hear him like put the fucking skull back in place. It, it cracks. And then he me finds and he gets his belt. He gets his yeah, belt. He uses he his belt to keep stinches it, it back in there. Yeah, I, I love it. I don't know why. I always really, that stuck out to me. I really like it. It's funny. It's funny as hell to me. It made me laugh when he randomly fucking headbutted a bird out of the sky in that scene. He's just like, ah! <laughs> and the bird explodes. Of course. Why wouldn't it? I mean, again, this movie does not take itself seriously. Of course some shit like, for fuck's sake, they fucking blew up a sheep with a goddamn rocket launcher. Like, come on. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That New was Zealand's, so gratuitous. I loved it. New Zealand's sacred animal. And you just <laughs> fucking blow it up with a goddamn rocket launcher. 
That was great, especially because I've been showing Connor the Hatchet sequel. So it's like we had that scene in that scene in Hatchet 3 where the dude tries to uh, use a rocket launcher on Victor Crowley. He just yeah. puts the fucking dude in front of it that takes him and blows up the house. So I was like, ah, oh, sweet, look at that. Two movies with fucking rocket launchers gone terribly wrong. <laughs> That's been the theme of the week, hasn't it? And um, it's great because, like, it, I think. I think even if you really wanted to like try and like read a whole lot into it, like he's, he's definitely showing how inept the government can be when they're trying to handle something that clearly is way over their head. You know, as much as these guys are really trying, you know, like you, you've got to give them an E for effort. I'll put it like that. And just, just a rapport they have with each other is great. Like it's, it always feels like these guys have like, no idea what they're getting into, but they also have supreme confidence that they can get it done no matter what, no matter what. And the one who turns out to be the most badass of all is the one that they're just like, Oh fuck. Oh God damn Derek. Like he's the one that everybody's like worried is going to fucking get killed. And he's the one that ends up making it out at the end. Literally. <laughs> when he's, when he stood up after the splat and like his fucking head was coming open, I immediately thought like, oh, he's a robot. Okay. And then Caleb's like, no, he's, he's not a robot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so his head's just open. <laughs> his fucking brain's just over there. No, no. He grabbed it and then it went back into his head, Connor. So God. it was back in his head. Was it put in back in professionally? God, no, but it's in there. I don't, yeah, pretty sure you can't just put somebody's brain like back in pieces like that. <laughs> Ask a doctor. Let's find out. Uh, I did love at the beginning the government agent who's like, let me get this, you know, get the A-team. And he has a, a button on his phone for the boys. <laughs> like, well, perfect. Fucking uh, Carl Urban's character just pops out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, he started thinking like, oh, shit, here comes Carl Urban. And it is New Zealand. <laughs> I forgot he's from New Zealand. <laughs> God oh, damn it. My God. Season three, you can't come soon enough. Mm. Yeah, very yeah. exciting. Yeah, that show is a lot of fun. Oh, so much fun. Um, so, so the puke. Uh, was not expecting that. That was fucking vile. Uh, just Robert just starts puking fucking entire bowl full of green shit. And then they just they pass it around like it's fucking Jonestown. And the one dude in the puffy blue shirt, because he put it on over his fucking body armor, just has to kind of blend in. I would, and then he goes for seconds. He's like, "Oh, not bad." <laughs> really, like that. Like that's that's where I think like this movie really like it really like it really shines for me. Like everybody is just like leaning into it and just going for it. And the fact that you know the the people who are trying to stop this are bunch of idiots and the aliens themselves bunch of fucking idiots like they're just the dumbest things but yet somehow they've managed to make their way across the universe to here to keep their fucking keep their fucking fast food chain going with the latest and greatest fucking snack food us you know hmm. like again <clears throat> a totally ridiculous idea you would have thought it would have been the brainchild of like sitting around passing a joint around or something. And somebody's just like, Oh dude, wouldn't it be weird if like aliens wanted to come and, and instead of like being peaceful, they just like wanted to make cheeseburgers out of us. Like, 
that's 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 how I feel like this movie was born. But then it's just like just somebody just wanting to have fun and not taking themselves too seriously. Because I think <clears throat> if you're gonna make a movie, especially your first movie, I don't I don't know that you should take yourself that seriously because you have no idea what the fuck you're doing. You might as well just have fun with it and yeah. just go for it. And the fact that Peter Jackson went for it and didn't let up. Like that was the thing. Like this movie just kept getting weirder and crazier and crazier till by the end of it, fucking he's doing a fucking uh fucking swan dive through the head alien with a chainsaw and gets birthed out of his butthole and then wears his skin like a suit, flying the house back that's somehow a spaceship, just to go back and find these fuckers and go after them. Like that's just that's just emblematic of how like this movie fucking when it hits the gas, it does not let up until it runs through the wall and it just keeps going. So fucking good. Just I want a sequel where Derek like fucks up this entire civilization where he, you know, I'm coming for you, dickheads. Like I want to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys you guys watch Futurama, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't like kept up with it over the years, but I mean I've definitely watched enough of it. Do you remember that episode where they found a planet full of these little crunchy things and they took a bunch back with them and it became like the most popular snack food on earth and it ended up being like the Omicron people's eggs? Yeah. I can't help but thinking that was influenced a bit by this movie. Probably. Probably. <laughs> I mean, possibly. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that Matt Groening wouldn't have seen this movie. Yeah. No. I bet if I go back and watch that right now, one of the aliens in this movie has got to be walking around in the background somewhere. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I did want to point out like that comment about uh, Jackson not letting up till the end of the movie. That's also really like, especially for like his pre Lord of the Rings career, kind of like to me what he did with almost every film he did. It started in one ridiculous place in Italy, and it just keeps going and doesn't let up, doesn't stop, just keeps outdoing itself. Until the very end of the movie, and by then you're like, "What am I watching? I don't know." What you know what? I like it. I like it. I'm gonna watch it again. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. would think. I would think out of all three of these movies, Connor, my safe bet would be that you would probably like Dead Alive the most, um, because there's there's a lot more of a story to it, um, yeah. where bad taste was. <sighs> it was just the product of trying to put together something that there was never a script for this movie at all ever. So the fact that we got something coherent out of it is amazing. Uh, Meet the Feebles is, that's one of the fucking rawest, most offensive ass movies I've ever seen. And it's all about puppets and like this dark underbelly of fucking theater and TV and celebrity and all this other stuff. It's, it's it's happy time murders has nothing on meet the feebles i'll put it like that just saying even though happy time murders does have silly string jizz me the feebles is fucking fucked up me the feebles just fucked up (laughs) (laughs) i Um, yeah i want to see it yeah um dead alive and i can't wait to actually like really talk about it but like that movie again is really leaning into its concept you think it's like kind of like wrapped up it has this real timeless quality to it even though like you're not really sure when it's supposed to have taken place um 
but it like it really just it has such a good story behind it. It's like a very basic love story with like a guy who's been living with his mom and she's really overbearing and he just he's a total puss and just caters to her every whim and he meets this girl you know that whole thing and then it just it gets fucking bonkers from there like there's just so much that happens in that movie that it's hard it's hard to say one thing and then not like spoil the movie so like i can't wait i can't wait till you watch that and i can't wait to talk about that because that fucking movie that movie has one of my favorite movie or lines in a movie ever and I'm not even going to say it because I want you to watch it. And then you'll, and then I want you to figure out which one it is. Um, but that movie has one of the gnarliest finales I've ever seen. And when you're done with it, you're just like, you're fucking wiped. You're like, holy shit. What the fuck did I just watch? Like I have been on a ride and it's, and you're just, it's just fun. It's just so much damn fun. Well, I was surprised you didn't pick that one. I, I assumed like, you know, if you were going to go Jackson, I assumed Dead Alive's the one you would have picked. Well, I kind of wanted you to to really like start from the bottom because this because this movie, like as 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 rough around the edges as it is, as hard as it is to try and have like a, a try to follow it from A to B, like it's one of those that like it, it lends itself to being watched with your friends. Like you gotta, you gotta watch it with more than one person, unless you're a weirdo like me and you just watch it for fun. Um, because there are so many, what the fuck moments that you're just like, wait a minute. Did I just see, did I just see him do that? You know, like, and, and when you see little tiny things, so like the fact that he had no money for actual guns, like all those are fake as fuck spray painted, put together with, with fucking pipes and probably tin foil and shit. All the all the gun blasts were put in after the fact, you know, because you could see when these guys are shooting, you know, it's like everything about this is using any and every kind of trick in the book for making movies. And it's you you just have to enjoy it. Like you can't just you can't sit there and point out like, oh, this is so dumb. Like if anybody I watched that movie with would would start to like just pan it that way, I would probably punch him in the face or something just like just just have some fucking fun for once just have some fun just have some fun like the minute the minute you watch a movie and a guy falls down and he explodes and then he gets up and he headbutts a fucking bird like you're you're not watching a normal movie you might as well just go with it you see some fucking weird dude eating another guy's brains out of his head with a spoon you just gotta go with it you find out there are a bunch of aliens that are really part of a fast food chain that are finding the next great white meat. You just got to go with it. Why not? A sheep explodes. Yeah. Why not? Whatever. It's just, it's just one thing after another. And you just, it's just fun. Like this is, this is probably one of my favorite party movies. It's, it's funny. Sure. I remember when you showed me this on the boat, with the division and the amount of times people would come down going, what the fuck are you two watching? And I'm sitting there with you like happy. Cause I'm like, I'm really enjoying this movie. <laughs> like, I think I was the only one that birthing that was with you every time. Like, no, this is one movie. I like this movie. Oh yeah. Well, like if, like if Kyle would come and he just like peek his head and he's just like, Oh, it's yeah, it's pretty good. But then like, if he was watching pink flamingos or something and he saw something he really didn't like, he's just like, 
God, I hate you. Why do you watch these things? I'm just, yeah, you know, like you just kind of some, sometimes I, I, I do like the reactions of other people that haven't seen this kind of stuff, especially if this is like so far out of their wheelhouse of movies that they would normally watch. I just like, I love that visceral shock of like, Oh my God, like you <laughs> think this is entertainment? Like, yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think one of my favorites, I won't ruin it, what happened in the movie for Connor Harrison. You'll probably make him watch it. But uh, when one of the guys in our birthing left during Poultry Geist because he couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there enjoying the shit out of this movie. That's, I would say, one of my top favorite, like top five favorite of drama is Poultry Geist. But yeah, he could not take it. He left. <laughs> I love those. I love those moments. My God. I, <laughs> yeah, I without this podcast, I wouldn't even know any of this shit exists. It's <laughs> wild. Um, my only real gripe with bad taste, I mean, I've got a few gripes, but the only one I'm going to bring up is um, between the weird shit, it's kind of boring. Like, there's a lot of just getting to places. Like, and I feel like the weird shit overpowers that but also at times i felt myself nodding off a couple times and i don't know if that's just because of the intense heat or if the movie was just kind of not really for me but you know i it happens i mean i i think i think there are those moments where you're just like you you kind of get those lulls and it's just I, i think some of that might be the way that it's put together you know because there wasn't a script i mean i think if this movie would have had a script i think it would have i think it would be a lot more coherent i think it would be a lot more enjoyable um i've seen plenty of movies that had a script and are way worse not even enjoyable and you're like yeah who the fuck looks at that thing when they're done writing it and goes beautiful let's (laughs) shoot that because any any filmmaker that you hear talk about movies especially if, if they write their own movies the, the one thing they say that they will never like like not take their time with is the script like that is your blueprint for how you make your movie yeah and if your script sucks chances are your movie's gonna suck unless you have somebody that is gonna direct it that can pull out everything that works and then finds a way to put it together I think if this movie would have had a script it would have been a lot better you know I think if I think if Craig would have been a friend of theirs and they were going in after him or whatever, you know, like if, like if, if there'd have been some kind of story there instead of just like, ah, oh, shit, Craig's wife said he can't play with us anymore. So we got to fucking find something else to do boys. I think this movie would have been a lot more enjoyable from that aspect of it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm sure the heat definitely played a part in it. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. blame it on the heat wave. I've yeah the the past like sixteen movies I've watched have been like half you know me paying attention and half the heat trying to kill me, so I'm doing I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> We're making it. Uh, yeah, I I agree uh, with what you said. I think you know yeah there's like those lulls here and there, but we've both seen week I think eight of this past season of Last Drive In, the VHS night, and those movies had scripts. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, and- <laughs> yeah, they had scripts, and dear Lord, 
Am I going to buy them? Yeah, probably. But oh, but yeah, fuck yeah. The point being, yeah, like those were very much in, like they were bad, bad movies. So the fact that for no scripts, they could do something that was as coherent, had a lot of fun moments, a lot of out there moments that they did is really impressive. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think this film is very much a labor of love. It's weird because they, I think PJ was just making shit up on the fly. And I think, you know, for the fact that he didn't have a script, this ends up being a, I'd say, mostly coherent film is, is pretty admirable. Like I said, yeah. it, to, me, to me, the fact that there was no script and he got, he achieved what he did in this movie, to me, it just shows how talented he is. Because yeah. he, again, with scripts and all that stuff, right, he seems to have only gotten better. Um, I'm very excited what he's going to be doing next. Like I said, I hope he recovers from Warner Bros. kind of being dicks to him on the Hobbit trilogy. So. Well, I saw on IMDb he's set to do a sequel to The Adventures of Tintin, so that's his next project. Okay. That's Spielberg. He nah. might have a look with that. I would love nothing more than Peter Jackson to go back into the horror sandbox and go crazy again. And he even, he, when he brought up the fact that he was going to, you know, restore uh, his naughty movies, he even said that he was like, I would like to make a horror film again. And I think, I think he, I think he could do some, some good with it, especially if they just, if he's just allowed to do whatever he, he wants to do. I think he's one of those filmmakers that you can trust to just go and make something and you know that you're going to get you're going to get something that's going to be entertaining and you can actually see the progression and it's and it's a really steep like progression in, upward from bad taste to meet the feebles to dead alive like there's such a steep like increase in in his talent and what he does and if the, the, the fact that there are uses of miniatures in the beginning of Dead Alive and you don't even really know it unless you're actually paying attention, that to me, and that's five, well, maybe like 10 years difference because when you talk about when Bad Taste was started, it was in 83. It was about 10 years, more or less. Like, that's fucking impressive. It's really fucking impressive. And I think... For me, that's definitely the next Peter Jackson movie I would love to talk about is Dead Alive because if you put Dead Alive and Bad Taste side by side, you're like, there's no way the same guy made these movies. There's no way. There's no way. But when you pick them apart and you look at what are like the the hallmarks and the and the really like telling flashes of his style, you're like, absolutely, it's a Peter Jackson movie. Absolutely. Not to mention, not to mention being a kid of the video store. How can you not watch a movie that has an alien in a fucking suit flipping you off? Like, how can you not want to go, yeah, I got to see that movie? <laughs> it uh, dares you. It fucking no. dares you to go watch it. True. Challenge accepted. I really miss the days when they tried on movie posters. Yeah, I miss. I, I wish I'd grown up, you know, now in the age of video store. I mean, as a kid, I had it, but I didn't appreciate it. And I do miss those days. You know, that's why I still buy movies. You know, a lot of people stop doing that. I'll never stop doing that. Oh no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like, like you guys, you guys know how how things are going for me. And that's I think one of one of the other positive things that have come out of it is the fact that I am totally unchecked now. <laughs> totally unchecked. I got nobody going, oh 
buying another movie like yes yes i am i've already i've, I've already I, I think i showed both of you if not caleb i know i showed you connor that fucking 600 fucking movie shelf yeah. that i want to get uh, it's happening it's oh happening. yeah when i when i move closer to you I get my new place i'm getting a bigger movie shelf uh especially now i saw it today i don't know if you saw it they're re-releasing the phantasm blu-ray box set so going with the sphere so funny you should mention that because during their last i think it was their easter sale i was coming to the end of all of my fun money that i could spend and i bought that set because i was like they're never going to release that fucking set with the ball again. I'm just, I missed it. I'm pissed about it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am contemplating trying to sell it so I can get the money up so I can buy that one. Cause that's the one I really wanted. And, just, be, yeah. and not to mention it has Here. an uncut version of phantasm too. Like that alone is worth the price of admission for that. Yes. Connor, I see you rolling your eyes. Phantasm. Ooh, no, I'm more. I'm more just admiring how excited you guys are more than anything. I like Phantasm. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad for you guys. I'm happy for you guys. So, so this is so this is for me. Like this is like why I love collecting movies and and having them. It's like you you really have to like a like it's really hard because like you have to like jump on things when you see them because you're not sure if they're gonna last and then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another one is like, which one do you buy? Because the fact that I'm region free and I bugged Caleb for years about it, like go region free, go region free, because it just opens everything up. And I even kept bragging to, you know, like yelling at Austin to do it. You know, like you like watching movies from overseas, like this is the best way to do it. And you can buy them wherever and nobody can tell you that you can't watch them at home because guess what? You can. Okay. It's, it's the best money I've ever spent trying to, you know, go, go in region free and, and doing that kind of thing. And it and it really kind of changes the game because I mean I could buy something from Arrow or 88 Films in uh, England, or I can go buy something from Australia, like the um, when they did uh, Bride of Reanimator on Last Drive-In. Um, I was trying to find it; it's out of print. You couldn't get it. I was like, "Fuck!" And then I looked, and I was like, "Oh shit!" This company in Australia called Umbrella, who I bought Razorback from, which is another one of those like VHS forgotten ass movies. And it's, yeah. Oh man, I had to get it. So I got it from them. That was one of them. That was kind of like a, a bucket list item that I've always wanted to have. And I found out that they did a double feature of Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator. And I was like, well, yeah, of course I got to fucking get that. So yeah, that, that happened. And I don't have to worry about, you know, Oh, I can't watch this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. The only thing I haven't done yet is go for 4K, and that's why I'm because I've got to get a PlayStation Five. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Well, say so. I have a couple of 4Ks now because of my PlayStation Five. And Connor was like, "Hey, let's open up your Mummy one." So I have, I had replaced my Blu-ray set that was kind of busted up with a 4K Mummy set that was out. And I'll look. I'll admit, for the longest time, I was like, I don't see the difference in 4K. We watched that though, and I was like, "Holy fucking shit! It is so crystal clear. the The frame rate is even smoother than it's ever. Which I don't know how they achieved that. It, it. I was impressed. I was like, "Okay, I'm in. I'm getting 4K whenever it's possible." So yeah, it's impressive. I actually, we went to. Uh, I took him to Pike's Marketplace. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I got 
Saw, the original Saw and Jaws on 4K for like 15 bucks. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. I'm pretty sure that those were stolen because the guy gave them such a sweet deal. They were like, they were wrapped up. I'm like, this isn't kosher, but fuck it. You know, it's not his problem. I paid legally. Let that be known. I paid legally. (laughs) Yeah. So 4K is worth it. it. It looks amazing. I was really surprised. And the PS5 fucking upscales it which is amazing. They upscale Blu-ray, so the Blu-rays looked in 4K quality. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with 4K. If you, if you can't get your hands on one when I move, just go to my place. We'll watch some 4K stuff, buddy. Well, we, we might even be roommates. Don't exactly. So Woo! I'll have that PlayStation 5. Don't worry. I know it's a bitch to get. Uh, I got mine, luckily, through the next. If you want to check your one close to you, I don't know if they're still doing a thing. That's well, I got, I, got a, I got a picture from somebody at one point saying that they had like a dozen and I'm just like, oh, that's great. You can show me a picture of them, but I have don't have the money for it. You fuckers <laughs> like just stop. And anytime I'm on Twitter and like PlayStation will be like, oh, have you got your PS5 yet? I'm always commenting back. No, stop rubbing it in my face. You know, may- maybe they'll just take pity on me one day, but I doubt it. That reminds me of the warehouse from Jingle All the Way where all the counterfeit Santas are selling Turbo Man's. <laughs> Turbo Man. Yeah, it's the same situation. We're buying a Chucky doll from a hobo. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, you never do that. You never do that. <laughs> ah. Well, here are some filmgasm facts for bad taste. We've covered a bit of this already. Here's a little bit more detail. Uh, number one, Peter Jackson shot the film on weekends over a four-year period with his friends playing the lead roles. Jackson funded most of the film himself until towards the end of the shoot, when the New Zealand Film Commission gave him money to finish the project after being impressed with what he'd already produced. There was never a script for the movie. Each scene was filmed from ideas the director would come up with during the week. And afterwards, the film was screened for the New Zealand Film Commission, and they were like, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> they had a, a talk, like discussion about this. One guy was like, this is not cinema. This does not represent what New Zealand is capable of. Should we allow this? And then, you know, movie buffs were like, this is fucking awesome. So, yeah, it's, you know, there's a place for everything. It went to Cannes. Come on. <laughs> I love when films like this go to Cannes because supposedly, like, I always hear, like, the, the people who watch this is, like, the most uptight, snooty film fans yeah. you can find, and they just, they never know how to handle a film like this. Yeah. They're like, uh... It's like forcing a food critic to eat a Lunchables. <laughs> it's awesome. Choke <laughs> it. Choke it down. <laughs> Uh, number two, uh, Craig Smith, who plays Giles, was part of the original cast, was married and then divorced within the four-year time frame it took to make the film. Uh, his wife was a devout Christian. She said no. He said fine. And then he got divorced and was like, I want back in. But you'd think during the dating process he would have found out that she was a devout Christian and would have you know, impugned his, his film opportunities. So I'm wondering, like, did that just not come up? Probably not. Probably not. Probably. He's probably waited. The old, uh, it's the old rope a dope. You know, it's a little, <laughs> whole little trick. Just pull the rug out from under him. She probably promised him all kinds of naughty things that she would never do because she's a good Christian woman. Yep. Straight up. And number three, the vomit in the bowl was yogurt as well as uh, muesli, mues, muesli, muesli, oats and nuts, basically. Uh, with green food coloring. So it probably tasted pretty good. That's probably why the guy went back for more. Yeah. It's probably like, oh, this is good. I just want this for lunch. He's drinking OD yogurt. 
if I was actually like, hey man, can I take this home? I don't have food at home. Can I just? I hope they did it. I hope they did it in one take because if that took all day, that shit was going to be just putrid by the end of the shoot. Oh. And it really was taking them, you know, sipping up a bowl of puke. I'd rather drink puke than rotten yogurt. I don't know. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Both sound terrible, but thank you for that image now. <laughs> um, all right. I give bad taste. I'm going to give it a six. Yeah. I, it was I read a f- your review. I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm going to try. It was a five. The more we talked about it, it gives it gets a little bit more bonus points. I'll give it a six. I didn't really care for it, but I do appreciate what it represents and like what came out of this. So, yeah, I, I would watch it again. I would. I'll, I'll, I'll give it an eight. I really do enjoy what my, uh, Jackson pulls off with this movie. Like for a low budget and what he had, he pulls off such an amazing amount. And I mean, it really kind of shows you the kind of like just smart genius director that we had. Yeah. And the, I'm, his work since then really speaks for itself. Between this and since then, it just yeah, eight for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a it's a solid ten bowls of puke out of ten for me. <laughs> Beautiful. Draw Very draw. satisfying to the last drop. Oh god. Ten out ten. Draw, 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 <laughs> check it out. Jesus. I'm gonna have some fucked up nightmares tonight. Four stars. Joe Bob <laughs> says check it out. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's show. This was fun. Uh, next week, Austin returns to Filmgasm for a film we've both been waiting for for quite a long time. Finally available to stream on Hulu through Epics. A pious, uber-religious nurse becomes obsessed with saving the soul of her patient in the 2019 limited-release religious horror flick, Saint Maud. Thanks to the pandemic, it never got a proper release and was quietly dropped on Hulu a few months ago. Uh, This was high up on our list, so we're very excited to finally get to watch it. We've been planning this out, finding a spot that would work for both of us. We're going to do St. Maud. I can't wait. I've been wanting to see this movie for two years. Uh, ah, Don't miss Awakenings on Oscar Sunday and six potentially great films on Monday's sneak preview. We have not yet chosen what the big one's going to be. Anything goes. Could be Werewolves Within, could be The Tomorrow War, could be Fear Street. Who knows? It could be America the Motion Picture. Who knows? (laughs) Ah, Until then, please, please don't drink from a bowl of alien puke, no matter what situation you're in. And keep watching movies.